Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy! Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master and a pastor here. Uh, was anyone here for our Easter celebration? Wasn't it amazing? The worship team did amazing, the kids team, the behind the scenes, different things happening, the, the people that served all day, the greeters, the pallbearers. Yeah, we had a casket here. If you missed it, 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 was, it was amazing. Our message uh, was about the legacy Jesus left behind as the person who defeated death. But not only that, but he made a way for us to have eternity with him one day, which is extremely exciting. It's, it's good news. It's the gospel. We had around 20 people here on Easter say they made a decision to follow Jesus so that they will one day be in eternity with God, which is just awesome. So I want to clap for those people that made that decision because that's a huge deal. But Easter Sunday, it didn't just stop there. We talked about how we can leave a legacy for helping others get into eternity, which is doing our part to help others know Jesus. We may not leave a legacy here that people remember for more than just a few years, but we can do things on our end and get people closer to Jesus and closer to eternity in heaven. And you and me helping others experience eternity in heaven is a legacy that will be remembered forever, for eternity, right? which is what this month's series is all about. Legacy is what we're calling it. We're going to be talking about some of the things that we can do to leave the most lasting legacy, not here on earth for ourselves, but so that more people we love will be in heaven one day. And the thing we're talking about today is this character trait that everyone on this list has. Now, you might not be able to see it, but some Robert Lee, George Gallup, Madonna, Dan Rather, uh, Rich DeVos, Mother Teresa, Tiger Woods, Adolf Hitler, John Grisham. Can you find the commonality? It's not occupation. It's not era. It's not the amount of money they had. It's not some new, the people you don't know on there, they're not some new young celebrity people that you don't know but your young pastor knows. It's not that. For my riddle lovers in the room, let's see if you can guess it from some of these clues. Anyone can get more of this thing we're talking about. It can be used for evil or for good. The famous and the unknown have all possessed great amounts of it. It financially costs nothing. Some people are better at acquiring it than others. It supersedes su uh, positional authority or job titles. It has the power to sway a room or decision. You can waste it. It many times is synonymous with leadership. Any guesses on what it is? It's influence. It's influence. All of those people on that list were influential. Some for good, some for bad. Some you have certainly heard of. Some you probably have never heard of before. Influence is defined as this. It's the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something. Today, do you think you have some of it? Do you have some of it? Do you have the effect on character, development, or behavior of others? When I think of my influence or the influence that uh, I've experienced and how I've influenced others, it makes me initially think of how easy it is to influence others to say yes to ice cream. Anybody there with me? Easy to say yes to ice cream. You can influence anyone to say yes to ice cream. Like, if you get in my car, if I just bring it up, should we get ice cream? And my kids are in there? There's no way Sydney or 
for that fact, anyone that's riding in the car with me and my kids is going to be the bad guy saying, no, please, no ice cream today. No one says that. And that person would never say please either, right? No one would say, please, no ice cream. They're probably like a Scrooge. They're just going to say, no ice cream, right? That never happens. And now that I'm thinking about it, maybe it's because maybe it's my kids are in there. Maybe they're the influential ones, but not me. Um, but if it is just me, I can be really good also at influencing people to be on board with tacos. My kids don't like tacos, but I do. With whatever the occasion is, birthday, tacos, budget night, tacos, snack, tacos, meeting, tacos, breakfast, tacos. I, I can convince anybody on tacos. Anybody there with me with tacos? I'm convincing you right now. I love it. <laughs> now, these are pretty basic and simplistic examples, but maybe that's how easy influence actually is. I can influence others with simply choosing specific words to say, with the actions I do when they see me with the curvature of my face, right? Whether it's up or a frown. Honestly, I can influence others literally by doing nothing other than listen to them sometimes. As someone who just listens, I can become extremely influential to them. I mean, how many of you would love it right now if someone would just listen to you for a while of what's going on in your life? Lots of us, right? I guess if I cut to the chase, we all have influence. I mean, just think, if you showed up at home with a frown on your face all night, do you think that has an influence on your family? Absolutely, yeah. If every time you walked into a room and you said something complimentary about it or with gratitude, do you think you'd have an influence on others? Absolutely. What if you did the opposite and were critical or negative? Would that influence others? Yeah. What if you were that person who parked extra close to the line in the parking lot by the driver's side door of the other person instead of taking the extra 20 seconds to just readjust do you think you could influence me? I mean, that other person and how they behave when they get back to their car. Absolutely, right? <laughs> Absolutely. This actually isn't like my car or anything like that, but this happens to me all the time. Why do people park this close to my car? I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. But the point being, we all have influence because we all interact with others. And since we all have influence, we all have the opportunity to lead. John Maxwell, he's a pastor. He was a leadership expert. He's had a lot of influence actually on today's message, but he states this. He says, everyone is a leader because everyone influences someone. Whether you're a stay-at-home parent, a retiree, a factory worker, a teacher, a doctor, a manager, a cashier, a construction worker, accountant, an assistant, caregiver, whatever it is. Because you interact with others, you can influence. And as the quote implies, you can also lead. So the real question today isn't, do you have influence or are you a leader? Because we all have influence and we all can lead. It's are you using it wisely? Have you been able to affect a person's character, as in help someone choose to be more caring or honest or hardworking? Have you had someone pursue developmental growth because of your prompting, such as consider church or seek guidance in things they're maybe struggling with, whether it's uh, finances or relationships or parenting? Have you had the influence to change someone's behavior, such as having them show up or participate or turn away from doing something wrong or immoral? If not, we're going to talk about how you can gain more influence and specifically how you can build it up and use it to have a, uh, to have a legacy that lasts an eternity. This is an extremely relevant topic today because if you're not growing in your legacy or, or in your influential right now, you're probably losing it. Your influence is 
always changing. It's never static. No matter how much influence you have, you can acquire more or you can let it slip away. For example, if you're trying to influence, but what you're doing is, is inauthentic or only for selfish gain, your influence starts to diminish. Check out what someone who is trying to be authentic did on Instagram is they're selling and trying to influence using this fitness product. But like, you literally see in the caption here, it says, here you go at 4 p.m., write this caption. Like, it's literally like, this is what you should try to do, to say, to be authentic, to be real. And he says, keeping up with the summer workout routine with my morning, got this, this fitness stuff. Like, that's not authentic, right? It's like prescripted. Now, if that happened, I get it. It's an honest marketing mistake. But if I'm a friend of this guy, or even like further removed, just an acquaintance of this guy, you lost my consideration for that product and you lost the influence on me because you are inauthentically posting about it. Today, you're here. You're probably not selling something like this. Maybe you are, but you're probably not. But if you aren't growing in your influence and you're not intentional about caring for it, you're probably losing it. Yet on the other side of things, no matter what your past is, no matter what your mistakes, what you've done, since your influence isn't static, you can always grow it. Today, what we're doing is we're going to look to the Bible and see how we can gain influence positively and how we can use it for God. And if you're familiar with the Bible or the story of Jesus, you can see he obviously had tremendous influence, right? Thousands came to him to hear him teach and see his works. He had 12 guys literally give up their lives to follow him, like for no pay, no bennies, right? Literally no perks, like they just gave it up. When he left earth, he had people continue doing things in his name, and he left this movement, Christianity, that is bigger today than his initial following. With my early understanding of influence, this boggles my mind, like of how he was able to do this. I mean, influence to me early on, this is embarrassing to say, but I always try to be as real with you as possible. It could be summarized by looking at a picture like this. This looks influential to me. This was influential to me for a while. It was someone who looked good, had a good family, business position, like a business legacy. Jesus had none of that. Carrying a briefcase, that's another thing. Look important with a briefcase, right? Look influential. That, that was a big deal to me. Carrying a briefcase or something like this instantly ups your influence is what I thought. Jesus said, carry nothing is what he told his disciples. I thought letters before your name like master or doctor or mister or some sort of degree meant people respect you. They're going to give you influence, Jesus had no title. I thought an expensive suit, like that looks good. That guy looks good in that suit. I, I want a suit like that. I think I look good. I'd wear that suit, right? I thought if I had an expensive suit, I'd get respect. People will look at you, and if, if let's say if you have money, if you think people will maybe look at you. Jesus had zero money. He had zero suits. He had zero special tunics. I thought when you're super successful, right, or you have an organization that grows or you build something big that's, that's gaining influence, that's how you gain influence is you have something like that. Jesus had no building nor organizational standing. These questions should make you wonder, how did he acquire so much influence? I mean, he had the miracles, right? He had amazing works, which absolutely helped his cause. But there are people here who do amazing things, and they have zero influence. Granted, Jesus, he did defeat death, right? But before that event even happens, Jesus still has thousands, or thousands following him. Jesus, clearly, he had an effect on the character, the development, and the behavior of thousands and now millions. 
starting with nothing. If we could have even a fraction of that effect, imagine how that would impact what we're passionate about. Whether it's care towards others, or positivity, or health and fitness, or financial freedom, or social justice. But specifically for this series, and as a Christian, imagine the legacy we could leave if we built an influence like Jesus did, and used it to help bring others closer to God, to experience eternity. So today, we're going to look at how Jesus lived to see how he acquired so much influence, to then learn ourselves how we can gain influence, how we can grow it, and how we can lead others to eternity with it. And the story I want to look at is actually in John 4. We're going to spend kind of all morning in it. And it starts with Jesus traveling with his followers. And at this point, he's done some miracles. Like, he's kind of showed up. He's done some miracles. He's done some teaching. He taught some great things. But now he's on the road. He's going to some new places where maybe people have heard some buzz about him, but they don't really know him yet. And as they've traveled a long ways to this next place, Jesus sends his followers into town to get some food. It says in John 4, he says he was alone at this time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Little side note here, this sounds like he's already got some amazing influence. Like, hey, go get me some food in town. I'm going to stay here, right? No, it's besides the point because the purpose Jesus stays back is actually really clear in what's to come. Jesus is about to interact with a person who he has never met, yet he knows every detail about them because he's God. He knows their potential for God's ministry, and he also knows what others might think of the situation if he starts conversing with this person. Yet Jesus is authentically him. He does things his way to maximize his impact and his reach. So the Bible says, while Jesus was staying back, it says this in verse 7, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. So right here, Jesus is kind of breaking cultural barriers, right? And he declares that God has this thing for her. He has this thing for her. It's living water. He's sparking curiosity with a bit of vague talk, in a sense. If we're being real, it's kind of vague. Like, what does that mean? Living water? What? It continues. It says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? I feel like in this moment, she is either being kind of like this very sweet woman responding. In my mind, I'm picturing this. She's responding in her southern accent like, darling, you have no bucket. This well is deep. It's kind of like, like she's being sweet and gentle to him. This well is deep. You got nothing. Or she's curious and she wants to know, like, tell me more. Well, Jesus replies in verse 13, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get the water. Again, I feel she might just be playing along. I mean, who would say no to endless water, right? Like never have to fetch water again at a well? Or she's intrigued. Either way, Jesus has caught her attention. But then he starts to focus in on her, on who she is. He says this, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. I imagine the mood of the conversation gets serious here. And she's a bit taken aback. 
Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. She then like kind of changes the topic a little bit, like kind of bringing up some religious conversation. I'm assuming to kind of avoid maybe her embarrassment or what she's dealing with. But Jesus then gets back to the point and he tells her this. He says, I am the Messiah. After he reveals this to her, she changes. She changes. I've actually shown this clip before, but I want to show you how the TV series, The Chosen, portrays this woman at the well and how she responds to Jesus' interaction with her. Check it out. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. <sighs> and you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. <laughs> I was counting on it. <laughs> she says, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? When I look and study this interaction, I can't help but notice Jesus had influence on her. Like he gathered her attention, he changed her, but ultimately he is the reason she's experiencing eternity now. How? How and why did he gather this influence? Understanding like this, as we analyze the story a little bit, we have to know that we have limitations, right? We're not Jesus, so we can't do the exact things he did. But we can kind of compare a little bit and see if we can pull some things out that Jesus did to influence this woman that we can learn from ourselves so that we can influence others and help them experience eternity. And I think the first thing that's really easy to see in this story is influence is gained by being authentic. There's a prominent leader, Simon Sinek, who, who talks exactly like, about like, what is authenticity because it can be vague, it can be a buzzword out there these days, like be authentic, like, what does that mean, like, to be authentic? So I want to get us on the same page with like, a similar definition, and he describes it, I think, really well in this video. Check it out. Um, today, Eric, I'd like you to be more authentic. What are you going to change? Like, <laughs> you, you have no clue, right? What authenticity means is the things you say and the things you do you actually believe, right? Because we are social animals. And trust comes from that feeling we have when you, know, you get a sense of somebody. That we're good at figuring people out. It's what makes us successful as a, as a species. Um, and so when you are authentic, when you only say and only do the things you actually believe, people will trust you. The things you say and the things you do are what you actually believe. In Jesus' situation, in this context of the story, no one talks to a Samaritan, period. They were seen as unclean to Jews, like G which is what Jesus was. But Jesus believes it's what God wants, so he does it. No one talks to a Samaritan woman, period. That was socially unacceptable at that time for a man to kind of humble himself, to put himself uh, be below her in a sense. No one talks to a Samaritan woman who shows up in the middle of the day alone, period. It means she's Probably a prostitute. No one talks to a Samaritan woman who shows up in the middle of the day alone and shares a drinking item with them. That's like a double negative, double unclean, right? Like sharing a glass with someone. Even I know that when Jesus, like don't share a glass with someone, gross. 
But lastly, no one talks to a Samaritan woman who shows up in the middle of the day alone, sharing a drinking item with them, and have been the one who initiated the conversation. Jesus is authentically himself by what he says and does, and she's intrigued. The ESV Study Bible, it states this reason really well. He says that, or it says this, Jesus took the initiative in speaking to a Samaritan woman, an astonishing break with culture and tradition, showing his desire to save the lost. Jesus is pursuing this woman and others and wanting to influence them because he had an authentic desire for them to be saved. It's not fake. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not a ploy. It's not some like, thing that he's just hoping to tout off of, like success later on. But he wants to influence them because he authentically believes what he is offering is legit and for others. As I was thinking about this, there are a number of reasons I think that people come to this church, Center Point Church. And I get that maybe this idea has never crossed your mind. But I want to guess, you definitely don't come here because I'm the most scholarly pastor in town. Like, no one thinks that. Like, oh, Aaron's super scholarly. I'm not. I'm not at all. Yes, I've gone to seminary. Yes, I study the Bible. But I'm in my 30s. There are a lot of other seasoned pastors out there who don't make bathroom jokes on stage here, who don't talk about hunting or tell, share the arguments they had with their spouse or use as many videos or, or is a more traditional pastor. There's others out there that are way more traditional. I'm not super traditional in pastor sense, right? But I am going to be authentic. You are going to hear my real struggles, my doubts and frustrations. And honestly, I hope that's something you respect about me. Because honestly, it's not the most amazing thing for me to share my dirty laundry up on stage here for all to hear. But I want to influence you to know and grow in a relationship with Jesus to ultimately be in eternity with him. And I need to do it in my authentic self. So what you hear on Sundays is me. And although it's not traditional... We have seen it work with a lot of people. Jesus wanted everyone in eternity with him. So he pursued this woman at the well. He broke tradition by being his authentic self. It's how he acquired influence with her, to have her be a part of God's kingdom. How do you authentically influence others so that they can be a part of God's kingdom? For you, is it talking about God in a real, honest way with your friends? The way you really feel about it. Is it maybe not participating in the cliches, but, but being real? Is it not doing what everyone does, even the Christians around you, but what you feel God is telling you and that aligns with Scripture? Your authenticity should give you influence to some individuals, which should help you encourage people to eternity. The second thing I think we can pull from the story and see is influence is gained by being relational. Jesus was relational with this woman. He communicated, he listened, he asked, asked questions, he answered questions. He wanted to know her. It wasn't just a transactional relationship where Jesus was trying to influence her purely by his position of authority. I mean, he was God. He could have been like, stop doing what you're doing. Boom, disappear or something of the sort, right? Like, he's, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. He could be like, respect me in my ways. Boom. And like, she's a robot. If, if he wanted to, God can do anything. But instead, Jesus tries to influence her through a relationship that uses transformational leadership. 
In most workplaces, when it talks about influence, there's two types of leadership that people tend to approach. I feel the place that describes this tension between the two types of leadership we're referring to right now is Florida Tech. They say this. They say, transactional leadership is primarily based on the processes and control and requires a strict management structure. Transformational leadership, on the other hand, focuses on inspiring others to follow, and it requires a high degree of coordination, communication, and cooperation. A relationship with Jesus is meant to be transformational, not transactional. And the woman at the well, she got a taste of that. But for you, are you looking to influence others? Are you leading through transformation, inspiring them to change, not expecting them to change because you're the boss? You know things. You have authority or you're in the position of authority or because you have the answers. If you study these two types of leadership, transactional and transformational, transformational tends to hold people longer. Transactional tends to be one that becomes stagnant and has way more turnover. I remember when I was first out of college and I was into my first like titled position. Uh, I went to school to be a teacher. That's what my degree was in. But I ended up getting a job at a church, and I got a title. It was like, ooh, I got a title. Youth director. Yeah, it was awesome. I'm the youth director. Yeah, youth director. I got a title, youth director. And I remember I got this title. I'm excited. And uh, I was going to be kind of transitioning and leading our youth group. And I was super excited about this. And someone was transitioning out. I was transitioning in. And at the time, we had a really good youth group. We had about 50 teens. We had about 10 leaders. And these adult leaders, these 10 adult leaders were good leaders. Like that was what the ministry hinged on. I scheduled this uh, volunteer meeting where I was excited to debrief with my volunteer leaders. Like, hey, come on, let's, let's debrief. Like, let's, let's talk about what we're going to do next month. Like, it's just exciting. I was excited to hear, like, or to, like, lead in my new role with these, these volunteers. And I sent my email out about the meeting. Like, hey, we got a meeting. Let's talk. Like, we're going to debrief. And when the meeting came, I think, like, two of the ten showed up. I was blown away. I'm the boss. I'm the leader. I called the meeting. It was a hard lesson for me to learn. But just because I have the position doesn't mean I have the influence. In order to gain influence, I needed to develop relationships with these individuals. I needed to get them on board with the vision. I needed to start leading and influenced by transformation, but more specifically, by relationship actually spending time with people and not just me sending emails out, not just me sending messages. Because when I did, we grew that ministry. We grew that ministry to a hundred teens in which more are now experiencing eternity because of my influence with my leaders, because of my relationship with the leaders. As you think about you, what do you need to do to be more relational and transformational versus transactional and develop influence with a person you want to experience heaven? Is it to maybe talk with them more outside of work hours? Is it to have them over for dinner? Is it to ask genuine questions that you would a friend? Is it for you to approach them, not wait for them to approach you? Is it you initiating the conversation, even though maybe you have the positional title? What's it for you? The third thing I think we can see from Jesus in our story is influence is gained by influencing those who influence. So I hid something from you in the story of the woman at the well. I didn't give you the full story. There's a part you're missing. It's what happens next, after she leaves, after she leaves the well. In verse 28, it says this. 
The woman left her water jar besides the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Then verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. This woman influences her town. Now, did Jesus know this would happen? I want to presume yes, actually. He's God, right? He knows things. I want to say Jesus was intentional about talking to this exact woman because he knew she would influence others. Would anyone else would have thought she'd be influential? Probably not. She was an outcast coming to the well by herself in the middle of the day. No one wanted to be around her, but he saw something in her. Have you ever felt potential for someone before? Or seen things in them that's not currently there? Where you're like, I know you could be amazing. Although we aren't Jesus, and we don't know the future of what someone's going to do, we can take intentional risk and purposefully seek people out who we believe could be influential. There's a quote that goes this way. When we treat man as he is, we make him worse than he is. When we treat him as if he already was, what he potentially could be, we can make him what he should be. Who is someone that you think could be influential for God? Are you seeking them out? Are you treating that person and giving them a glimpse of what could be? The last thing I think we can see from our story is influence is gained by prioritizing. There's a few more verses in our story of John 4 that kind of wrap up what happens with the Samaritan woman. It says this in verse 40. When they came out to see him, the city, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. The town wanted Jesus to stay. They wanted him to be permanent. Let's, keep it. Let's have you keep healing people. Keep telling us our future. Keep changing us. Stay here. This happened with Jesus in other places too, such as Luke 4. In Luke 4, 42 to 44, it says, They begged him not to leave them, but he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around. Although people wanted him to stay, and I'm sure it would have been easier for him to just stay put, Jesus prioritized his reach and mission in the time he had. He knew sometimes that meant spending time and investing time with a certain few individuals, a lot of time with them, eating dinner, spending tons of time with just these few individuals. He did that. But then sometimes it meant going to a city, spending maybe a day there, teaching to a thousand, and moving on. He's God. He knew what the outcome of each situation would be. He knew what the best bang for his time or buck was whether it's deep relationship in one moment or quantity of exposure in another. You want to know what the best bang for your buck is on a Tuesday night in Fond du Lac? Fat Joe's Rooftop. Fat Joe's Rooftop, build your own burgers. The burgers are delicious and they're half off. The rooftop is a great ambiance. I promise I'm not getting paid for this, but go ahead and tell the owners I did this because maybe I'll get a greater bang for my buck. Who knows? Now, my wife and I, we're cheap, um, so we, we go quite often on Tuesday nights, Fat Joe's. We aren't going to some other burger place on Tuesday nights because this, for sure, has the best price on Tuesdays. And we aren't going to go to Fat Joe's on a different weekday because this is the time to get the deal, Tuesdays. We prioritize Fat Joe's on Tuesdays because it's the best bang for our buck. 
No goods or services were exchanged for this endorsement. Yet. <laughs> but the reason I'm making light on this is Jesus knew. He knew what was going to set his ministry up for success. The people he needed to impact. The people who would carry that legacy on. The people who he should prioritize time with. Like he knew Peter. One of his disciples who he invested in personally like a lot of time was going to be this rock for him. He knew that. And years after his death, he knew Peter would start churches for him. He'd continue his mission on for him for years. He knew if he invested in this woman at the well, she was going to spread what happened to tons of others in her community. He knew when he taught the Sermon on the Mount that thousands of people would show up and be changed. He prioritized. It's not that Jesus wasn't for all people. He was. But he only had a limited amount of time. And he didn't stay put. He was on mission. He knew what to prioritize because he's God. Now, we're not God. We don't know what specifically to prioritize. So we have to kind of make guesses. We have to use something to know what to prioritize. As a church, our priority since day one has been multiplication. John Quincy Adams, he says this, he says, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Leaving an influential legacy isn't how much you physically do, it's what you inspire of others. And as a church, we've been trying to inspire others to do more in Jesus' name. You could be slaving away, serving your butt off somewhere, and it's an extremely honorable thing to do. I love it when people like serve their butts off. It's amazing. I really do because it's me. I, that's kind of like how I work. I'm, I work hard. I'm one who prefers to just be like, I'll take care of it. Whatever it is that comes up, like here at church, like, oh, I'll just take care of it. I'll do it. Or at home, like, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll just get it done. Or with my family, like, oh, you, you have this problem? I'll, I'll just take care of it right now. And I think people respect that when you do that, when you do a lot. But the I'll do it mentality for everything eventually becomes a lot of time. Becomes a lot of time and, and restricts multiplication. Unfortunately, a lot of effort does not equal or guarantee high results. When I apply that to me, me doing every little thing here at church or being a part of every ministry pulls time from somewhere else. Whether it be work time, like I'll probably have a crummier sermon if I have to do a bunch of other stuff. Or family time, like, which turns into frustration time with my spouse and kids and then turns into an unsettled time at home and now it's just horrible for everybody. Jesus shows us in how variant his interactions were that it's not just about maximizing and working hard and just I'll do it mentality. That wasn't his style. If it was, I don't mean to be harsh on Jesus here, but if I was Jesus' boss... My personal opinion of his effort and hard work would be, I think you're kind of lazy. I think you're kind of lazy compared to how hard people work today, right? Like, I think he could have pumped up more miracles. He could have had more relationships. If his goal was hard work, if his goal was amount of effort, just my opinion, but Jesus' results, his results are extraordinary. And good results matter more than effort. Jesus knew how to prioritize, and because he prioritized correctly, he gained influence, and he was able to lead thousands and still lead thousands to eternity. As for you, when it comes to prioritizing and gaining influence, where do you need to prioritize? 
and do less? Where do you need to prioritize and do more? As I'm getting close to wrapping up, we can see Jesus gained influence by being authentic, by being relational, by influencing those who influence, and by prioritizing. Jesus undoubtedly gained influence through these things. And once he had it, he used his influence to move people, to change people, to leave a legacy for people by, by sharing how they could get into eternity. Which one do you need to work on this week? To start influencing people and getting them to eternity. We all have influence. Where is yours at? The most humbling part, I think, about the woman at the well story, the story we just shared, is we see Jesus influences her. She goes on and she becomes this amazing influencer for Jesus. People come to God because of what she experienced with Jesus. And she left a legacy. Yet her legacy here is still nameless. She's still the woman at the well. We don't know her actual name. But I look forward to hearing her tell me her story, her name, in heaven, and how her legacy impacted others. As I close today, I'm going to pray that we are intentional about growing our influence and that we use it for God. If you want, you can pray with me right now and have God reveal what it is that we should work on this week. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for giving us just a clear example of how you influence others, but then God, how we can also use our influence to grow your kingdom. I pray whatever it is that sticks out to us this week that we can act on it, God, we want to influence more so that more can experience heaven, eternity with you. You make things right. No matter how much we've messed up, how much hurt we've gone through, whatever we've done, you make things right for us and you want to use us for a purpose. So God, use us. Have us become influencers so that we can lead others to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.